Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I'm your host and I'm very excited to be joined as always by my co-host and partner in crime, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express. He is the Ida Nilsson to my Ida Tarbell. Phil Vondra, welcome back to the Pain Cave. Thank you, Jay. As always, a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to be here. Great to be here. Great to have yet another amazing guest coming in for a 20 questions episode. We are super, super excited to join one of the greats of the last 10 years of trail running and ultra running. He is a former champion, former U.S. national champion and winner of the Tussie Mountainback. He has podiumed at such amazing races across the U.S. as the JFK 50, the Ice Age 50, the Cayuga Trails 50, and he is just recently off his most recent podium at the Leadville Trail 100, where he ran an absolutely brilliant race to play second in 1659. We are super excited to welcome Matt Flaherty to the Pain Cave. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to, to have a conversation here. We're really psyched to have you, Matt. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit about what's been going on with you over the past couple of years and talk a little bit about Leadville and and. Then we'll ask you some really stupid questions before we let you go. But before we get started, Phil, what are we drinking tonight? Well, as it's uh, just about noon on a Sunday, I am drinking an athletic brewing closer by the mile. It's uh, one of their their IPAs, and it's uh, they brew it for a charity uh, bike ride across across uh, Massachusetts. So awesome! I, yeah. as we are Cheers. both we are both in taper mode, and as you said, it is just kind of getting into drinking time. I'm going to stick with an athletic as well. I have an athletic run wild IPA here. So very nice. Look at the two of us pictures of health. That's right. Well, gentlemen, if you're both having an athletic brewing company beer, I think I better join. Um, stuck in. I mean, <laughs> let me grab one here. Awesome. Uh, I just got this, uh, the whirlpool pale ale. Nice. Oh, um, nice. I've not had that one. Yeah. It's pretty tasty. I've, I've, yeah, I've only like recently, yeah, I've only recently been turned on to them and I'm uh, yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, look, look no, at us, I, Phil. I like we're what doing it's good. We're, we're we're healthy, Phil. This is amazing. Hmm. We're doing the same thing as our guest for once. Yeah, this I is mean, great. Well, I mean, I had a whole pizza and a whole turtle pie last night after the pizza. <laughs> so I guess I'm not that healthy, but you know, so, I'm low alcohol at least this morning. So I'm going to change. So Matt, I was out in Leadville uh, just just last month now, and uh, was there to witness your your pretty incredible race, which I think for a lot of us, even those of us who follow the sport pretty closely, came a little bit out of nowhere. Tell us about, catch us up a little bit about what's been going on in the last few years since you were really dominating at the top of the sport, uh, particularly at the 50 mile and 100k distance. It's It's been a minute, as the kids say, since we've seen you stand on the podium of a major race. Aren't you like the mayor of Bloomington now or something? Like what's going on? uh yeah good questions i i didn't you were out at the leadville race i didn't know that yeah yeah i uh i was oh, supposed awesome. i was supposed to run i, I had to defer because i had banged up my knee but I'm, I'm one of the uh i i'm part of a coaching service where like the coaches that we're, we're the official coaching partner of leadville so i had a whole bunch of athletes there so i was crewing and and uh coaching and such awesome how fun um yeah what a great day that was and i'm sure we'll talk about it uh but yeah i you know so i ran semi-professionally in this sport from 2012 to 2017. So what that meant for me was uh, I was running for a handful of sponsors, uh, really trying to make a go of it, uh, you know, in terms of, of competing at, at the highest level I could. I probably raced a little too much, honestly, uh, for peak performance. But but yeah, I was really focused on that. And the way I made a living was I, I started a coaching business in 2012. Um, which, which I've been running for the last, I guess, close to a decade. Uh, so I've coached athletes kind of all around the country, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, 
and a lot of marathoners, but a lot of ultra runners too. And then also was doing a fair amount of writing for a while, uh, for, for, especially for uh, ultra running magazine, um, and some others. So I was kind of cobbling together a career in the sport and was definitely deep in it for a while there. Um, I decided to go back to graduate school in 2017. So I got degrees in environmental science and public affairs here at Indiana university. Um, wanted to kind of retool the skills I had, uh, which included a background in law and wanted to work in a policy space more in the public interest. And that kind of led me in particular to climate change and energy policy, um, which I actually just started a new job this week um, in that space. But the other thing you hinted at was um, uh, my public service here in Bloomington, not mayor, but uh, I'm on the city council <laughs> okay. uh, here in Bloomington. I'm, I'm most the way through my second year on a four year term as a representative here. So that's been really rewarding and, and often challenging as well. And is, and is a pretty interesting space. Um, but the short of it is I got far too busy in life uh, for a few years to, to really spend uh, too much time on the sport. I, I did do some racing in the summer of 2018. I was kind of still holding on to fitness and I had an internship in Geneva, Switzerland that summer and put together some comically bad races at things like Zagama and <laughs> Mont Blanc marathon, and then had a really good one uh, or pretty good one at the uh, Iger ultra trail 101 K in um in the center of switzerland it was the ultra trail world tour race at the time right. and i got fifth i think pau kapal won jason schlar was second i was in third for a little bit and kind of faded a little but it was a, a 12 and a half hour race because it had you know twenty two thousand feet of climbing and uh for me it was the first glimpse that was the longest i'd ever run by a couple hours and it and it started to open like crack the door open for the 100 mile possibility i was like okay i can start to wrap my head around <laughs> being right. out there that long and, uh, you know, you mentioned, yeah, I ran a lot of 50 mile, 100K kind of distance was my specialty, I guess. And in that time I was running um, semi-professionally and I'd kind of always saved the 100 milers and, and wasn't really interested in tackling them early on. And that kind of was the opening, you know, of, of, of that possibility, I would say. And it took another few years between pandemic and everything else for me to figure out the right opportunity and the right timing and have the ability to put in some hard work for it. Uh, so, yeah, that came together with my first 100 miler uh in leadville this summer um and and uh it went well so i'm excited for uh you know what's to what's to come from here and and uh to tackle a few more of those uh, distance races now as you mentioned you're a lawyer and before you were in your kind of professional running uh period i guess you you practiced law i think full-time uh and, and while you were like marathon training and such right yeah, that's right. In Chicago, uh, not for super long. Uh, it, it didn't take me long to figure out that I didn't want to be uh, engaged in private practice of law. Gotcha. Gotcha. Were you doing environmental stuff there or was it? No, nah, I was in patent law, patent okay. litigation mostly. Okay. Um, I have an engineering degree from undergrad, so it's kind of a technologist's background and, and a lot of folks kind of end up in that space um, Gotcha. gotcha. In, the, in the legal world. I, you know, yeah, if I had a little more uh, insight into what I valued at age 25, <laughs> I would have gone into like environmental public interest law of some kind and maybe would have stayed there, you know, but I, I was uh, not introspective enough at the time, I think. Well, and there's a lot of people now in the trail running space that are that are kind of kind of in that environmental law advocacy kind of thing. I mean, our coach, Dave Roche, that's the background he comes from. We, uh, Kyle Piatari does a lot of stuff with that, um, both professionally and I think pro bono as well. Um, so it's yep. a really, really cool way to, I guess, marry those two interests. Oh yeah, there's a lot of overlap, right? I mean, like more than more than road running, certainly. I mean, the trail running and ultra running space is really deeply tied to like a, a conservation land ethic, and I think increasingly understanding like uh, you know indigenous rights issues and and the the climate justice issues related to some of those things, not just the sort of former uh, 
view of conservation is maybe like saving these these spaces for our privileged use, but also understanding the deeper justice implications around um, around land use policies and land conservation and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's really deeply tied to the the ethics of the sport in my view, and I'm I'm interested to continue to explore those things uh, in the coming years for sure. And and tell us a little if you can about the new job. Yeah, so I've just uh, come on as the implementation manager at something called the Environmental Resilience Institute at IU, uh, Indiana University. Mm -hmm. uh, in short, uh, there, there's a lot of elements to the institute and what they do, including some academic research pieces. But but what I'll be doing is largely helping um, local governments with uh, kind of capacity building and technical assistance around preparing for climate change impacts, uh, particularly in Indiana and the Midwest. So so the major impacts coming our way and that we're already seeing are increased uh, stormwater events and and flooding and increased high heat days and trying to help communities plan for and, and, and deal with those those impacts among some other climate related uh, policy things. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about Leadville, because that is kind of the most recent thing. And, and it's it's great to hear that you were able to or that, that this kind of a little bit of a period away from racing or at least a little bit of a period away from the spotlight was more personal choice and, and kind of professional stuff rather than, you know, some of the the forced injury kind of breaks that we see among a lot of the elites. But yeah, t tell us a little bit about Leadville, what went into your preparation for that? Why Leadville, first of all, um, coming from Flatlands to, to go to one of the you know, highest races in the, in the country? Uh, you know, what appealed to you about that? And uh, tell us a little bit about the day. Yeah, so my wife and I went out to Leadville last summer, 2020, um, for you know, kind of middle of the pandemic and just got a, got a house in Airbnb uh, for uh, a couple of weeks and, and kind of just really like it up there. I don't know, you know, there's a lot of fun uh, it's a good summer outdoor recreation hub. You've got, you know, paddle boarding on Turquoise Lake and mountain biking and yep. lots of great trail running, hiking. Uh, and I kind of thought, you know, I, I could see myself running this. I'm somebody who's always handled altitude relatively well, um, you know, all things considered uh, for, a, for a flatlander at sea level. And yeah, I was I was kind of curious about the 100 mile distance. I, I hadn't trained all that much in the last few years. I mentioned, you know, racing in the summer of 2018, but really for the last few years after that, I think I'd run, you know, one or two races and they, you know, one of them went up. Okay. There were like 50 cases, both of them. My training was very spotty, very up and down, but I'm also lucky that I've been running competitively since I was 11. So I've got this, you know, lifetime aerobic base that I can sort of uh, call on and get away with, <laughs> you know, stepping back for a while or not having as intense a training. Um, so yeah, I guess it was just kind of curiosity. I, I reached out to to the Leadville organization early this year and and um, kind of asked if there was an lead entry process or anything, and kind of gave my dated resume. Um, and and they were like, no, uh, but you know, we just encourage everybody to enter the lottery and kind of see what happens from there. And I entered the lottery and got in. And um, yeah, they, they really are not. I mean, <laughs> affected by you know how I don't know what the what the lottery looks like for it's, Leadville, it's, honestly. It's, um, it's, so, a, it's not a very uh, transparent process by any stretch. <laughs> that, well, that, that, uh, well, let's not forget Jim entered and he didn't get in, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great organization, but uh, their their elite athlete outreaches leave something to be desired, I think. I agree. And, there, I, you know, I think that, well, I don't know enough about it, honestly, but I think there's no... I don't think anybody would would like throw shade if they were like, you know what, we're reserving 20 spots for elite athletes that we're going to allocate right. at any time. And like, that's just part exactly. of this race's, exactly. you know, mission. And that's okay. Just be upfront about um, it. Yeah. So 
anyway, uh, I did get in through the lottery. Um, so I knew by, yeah, February, March or whatever that was that I was going to, going to run it. And, um, honestly the buildup was, was solid. Uh, definitely went in a little underprepared as opposed to overprepared. Um, I definitely had some, some real setbacks in training. It, it was like mid May and I was not in a great place, uh, with my training at that point. I'd had like a two week long illness and I had stubbed my toe really badly that took me out for like a week and a half because I had pain in it. And like, I, I just had a really rough patch there and I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm three, three months out from this race and I'm running, you know, 40 miles a week. And, and, and the longest run I've done in a while is, you know, 15 miles or something. I was like, this, this could get ugly if I don't get real serious here. So I, I, I got after it for a few months there and was able to put in, I think just enough work to get me to the line. Um, you know, more or less well-prepared. <laughs> Nice. So, uh, you know, you were in a, a field with um, two legendary former champions in Anton, obviously making his comeback, uh, taking a lot of the, uh, the oxygen out of the, the pre-race and race day. And, and of course, uh, Ian, four-time champ. And, uh, you know, also a bunch of other really good runners, uh, Cody Reed, uh, Tyler Andrews, Dave Kilgore. What was your strategy? How did the race play out? Yeah, thanks. Uh, it, it was, um, really interesting. I, I go back to this conversation I was having with a member of my crew, uh, my friend RJ, uh, the, the day before we were grabbing a beer at a Treeline uh, Kitchen in Leadville. A great and, restaurant. Uh, sitting around the fire there and just like having a drink. And I was kind of talking about if things went south, how I was really committed to getting across the line. I didn't want to fail in my first 100 miler, you know, and there's reasons for DNFs and I've had my few of them over the years too. And that's okay. But I really wanted to make it through this one. And she, she was just kind of like, why are you, why do you keep talking about how things are going to go wrong? And I was like, well, I was like, that's a fair point. <laughs> I was like, mainly because I don't want to leave myself in a situation where I haven't dealt with this, this possibility uh, and mentally prepared for why I'm out here and why I'm doing this, which was entirely, you know, for me and to, and to, to see what this was about and to, and to get through this uh, no matter what, but it did shift the tone of our conversation a little bit um, to competing. And it, it is scary to go up against those guys. I don't have any sponsors anymore. And no one really even knew I was in the race. And that's, that was nice, you know, super low key, but I still had internal expectations about what I could do. Um, but when you start thinking about it, you've got to have a little bit of this attitude of, I think, uh, to be competitive of uh, unreasonable belief in yourself and sure. and kind of talking yourself into that. And and I was thinking, okay, you know, yeah, Anton's fit, but he's been riding a bike mostly and he's going to be competitive, but I, you know, I, I can probably run with him. Uh, Ian kind of thinking the same thing. It's, it's, you know, he's, he's competitive. He's incredibly consistent, but Ian and I have raced before and I've beaten him before mm -hmm. and, and, um, I'm in relatively good shape, uh, thinking about Tyler and Cody. Yeah. Those guys are incredibly fit. If we raced 50 K in the mountains, they'd crush me. No question. Mm -hmm. But you know, Cody's talking about course records, Tyler, you know, kind of similar type of thing. And I look at Tyler, he ran Tussie a few years back and ran 15 minutes slower than I did. So yeah, he's got me in the marathon by a bit, but like he clearly hasn't really spent a ton of time running 50 mile plus distances to where, you know, he's really dialed that in. And that's right. no disrespect. He's an incredible runner. It just takes time to figure sure. these things out. So it was both of those, well, his first hundred miler and Cody didn't have a ton of experience. So I was, you know, thinking those guys, they're probably going to run each other into the ground a little bit and maybe come back to us. And of course that did end up happening a bit. And then, yeah, you kind of, you kind of start to reason through it and, and you, and try to convince yourself, you know what, like I'm, this is anyone's race and I've got as good a chance as anyone else. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea who Adrian uh, McDonald was at the time, but right. uh, found out the next day. 
but yeah, you've got to you've got to kind of try to I think understand your strengths and weaknesses, run your own race, which I did pretty well. I, I would change very little about how I how I ran that race, um, except for maybe going out a few minutes slower in the in the early miles. Uh, I, I did go. I wasn't with the leaders. I did temper that a bit, but I think I could have tempered it even a little more, honestly, because I felt I had a bit of a low patch from like mile uh, 24 to 32 or something like that. And mm -hmm. I think if I would have gone a little slower at the start, it could have been kind of charging there a little more than uh, feeling feeling low, you know, that early in the race. Right. But, but yeah, you, you know, again, try to run your own race, uh, not get too caught up in what the other guys are doing, but have confidence that that you know, the training and you've put in and your abilities are, can, can put you in, um, in contention and just see what happens and, and try to be tough when it's time to race, uh, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours in. So, yeah. So I, I was at, uh, Twin Lakes most of the day. So I saw you guys both ways and, and right. As, as you said, the, the pre-race hype was obviously everywhere else. And, and we saw you guys come through Twin Lakes and you were probably about fifth or sixth at that point. But I, and I would I would venture to say really even a distant fifth or sixth. Um, you know, the the Anton and Ian and Tyler group at that point had, I'm going to say, 20 minutes on you, maybe at that point. And I was like, oh, was that Matt Flaherty running by? That was got to look like Matt Flaherty. And I mean, from 20 minutes down to basically, I mean, almost an hour up on Ian by the finish. What what happened in the those last thirty plus miles uh, to kind of vault you that far forward against such a field? Yeah, I think I just I closed pretty well. Um, I you know I've looked at a lot. I did a lot of research heading into the race about splits, and and it seems like if you run well uh, for for a top uh, male in, this, in in that race, you positive split by about forty minutes. That's about a, which is roughly what I did. Uh, maybe a little slower than that. Um, maybe more like forty-five or fifty minutes for me. I think Adrian did a forty-minute positive split, and I was kind of hanging in there. You know, I, I actually banged up my knee at mile nine of the race, running around uh, Turquoise Lake in a way that um, I, it was in, it was painful the rest of the race. Uh, I, I couldn't descend with normal form. It definitely slowed my race by I'd guess ten or fifteen minutes huh. um, because I couldn't really descend the way I normally can. I'm a pretty good descender and. Um, for that reason, uh, you know, I, I kind of lost some time up and over Hope Pass, both directions, but not not a ton. I think it was only 12 minutes to Anton and Ian um, at Twin Lakes, maybe a little more. It might have been more like 15, but more to Adrian, obviously. Um, but then, I, yeah, I was able to capitalize on some of my, you know, relative speed, I think, uh, compared to Ian and Anton, at least. I think Adrian and I more or less matched each other from, like, top of the Colorado trail, like Lily Ponds area to like outbound, right. outbound or something. Um, so it's like, it gets really runnable. You're on dirt roads for a while. And, yeah, and I think from, Anton was running pretty well through there, but like, I still definitely close time from, from the area. time you I climb like up to mile stretch where I ran 730 pace or something. Wow. Like yeah. mile 69 to 76. I was running with Chris Vargo. Actually, he was my pacer. Chris is a, an old friend from Bloomington here and, and probably somebody, you know, a lot of folks know in the sport sure. used to run for Nike. Um, so he was doing a good job pacing me. I started feeling half decent, uh, in that stretch and was able to run a pretty good string of miles there. It put me, um, in touch, uh, with Ian to where we, we saw Ian kind of, um, you know, as we headed towards outward bound and, and didn't know where Anton was, wasn't really sure what was happening up there, but I was just trying to get on the podium at that, at that point. So I was kind of racing Ian as, as we came into yeah mile 80 or so. Yeah. Yeah. That stretch from basically once you make the climb up Elbert from, from out of Twin Lakes, from there to basically the bottom of power line is, I mean, that that sets up perfectly for a guy like yourself who 
has the speed and, and the, the road background and everything else, because that is all runnable and mostly flat, and there's a, some dirt road in there, and yeah, you can really roll through there. Yeah. And of course it's a difficult time in the race to do it. So you've got to kind of have the energy levels and the legs sure. to, to manage that, which I managed. Okay. So I, I had really good nutrition on the day that went really well for me. And I think I, I managed, you know, the double hope pass without uh, getting myself in too much trouble there. I uh, didn't lose too much time. Like Anton passed me, Ian and Anton both going up hope pass the front side. And then, you know, coming into Winfield, Anton's coming out of there and Cody Reed actually, and I'm, and I'm right there. And Anton, we talked about it later. And he, he just kind of assumed that I would be way out the back. And I was, you know, two minutes back of him at Winfield or whatever it was. Um, he was just like, oh, <laughs> you're still right there. <laughs> um, but th those guys put a ton of time on me back up the backside of Hope and and coming down into Twin Lakes. Um, so, I, I yeah, they got a bit of a gap there. But I was able to make it up uh, using some of my strengths in the, in the miles thereafter. And then eventually, yeah, I kind of got into a race uh, running scared for me in and, and chasing Anton <laughs> over those last 20 miles. Um, I mean, that's that's just an awesome lesson, I think, for for everyone, especially going into a race like that, where, right, I mean, let let everyone else run to their strengths, you run to your strengths. And yeah, you see what happens. I mean, Anton, obviously, very experienced on the course and in the mountains, you know, Cody has a lot of mountain experience. And right, I mean, you didn't panic when when they started putting some time on you. And then you, you played to your strengths over the, the back half of that course, which really is a runner's race for sure. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to stay positive, right? When when you're losing time or you're fading, um, and I, and I felt good about where I was. There was nobody. I was in sixth, I think, at Winfield, and there was no one for like thirty minutes behind us. So it was right. kind of at that point it was clear that Cody was fading and it was going to be among us for the top five. I passed Tyler actually coming out of Twin Lakes. He was hiking, you know, on that climb, and we passed him. He was kind of in a rough state. And kudos, by the way, to him and Cody both for getting across the line. On, on days where they both kind of imploded from, from their early effort. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, picking up guys a little bit. I actually ran into Ryan Smith at the Twin Lakes aid station. Uh, he knows my friend RJ who was crewing a bit and, and Ryan just had an incredible race at hard rock course. He's a past uh, Leadville winner himself with an mm -hmm. impressive time. So, and we know each other a bit. So we had a little bit of a chat there and he kind of gave me a pep talk. He's like, those guys aren't that far. <laughs> He's like, this next stretch is really important. Um, you know, get up the hill and then, and then put in an effort and, uh, and see what happens. So, that was nice. Uh, some good positive vibes from from my Pacers crew, folks I knew in the sport. And yeah, because it, it is tough, at, at, you know, to, to stay in a positive frame and have some faith that you're going to be able to come back on guys, um, you know, especially guys like Ian and Anton, again, such incredible, um, you know, runners and, and um, past champions in that race. So, um, yeah, just stuck with it. And, and I didn't expect to catch Anton. You know, that was that was kind of unexpected um, and, and a really interesting uh, kind of finish. Um, that I can share if you take away from if you want, or, or uh, we can go. So yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I know, I know the pass happened right around the boat dock. Um, and yeah, what, what, take us through the last few miles and kind of how that, how that came through. Sure. So, I mean, everybody's in, in hurting a lot, right? So I passed Ian like right before power line and then tried to put in a good effort up power line, had no idea where Anton was, didn't really know where Ian was coming off of, of power line. It seemed like the, little pseudo aid station <laughs> up top that I think is just sort of unsanctioned uh, people yes. hanging out. Space camp, space they call camp. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought I heard them like cheering for Ian like two minutes after I went through and I was like, gosh. And like, so we, we pushed the down, you know, pushed it as much as we could on the way into, to May Queen. Um, but I, and it turns out I did have a pretty good gap by May Queen on Ian and he was kind of fading, but I didn't know that. And then somebody said maybe like five minutes to Anton or something. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe, 
I was also at 14 hours, 59 minutes at May Queen. And I knew that with a good effort, sub two hours for that last stretch was possible. At sub 17 was a goal of mine. And uh, we got running and my friend RJ was crewing me at that point. And um, it's a tough time to be running around Turquoise Lake. You know, it's it's every little, it's the point in the race where every little uphill pitch, you just like want to hike. Yep. And like, it's so hard. Yep. And that's what we were doing. And that's what I had been doing, kind of coming into May Queen. And um, at some point, like a mile or two into that, I just kind of was able to flip a switch and say, you know what, like, I'm going to try to run all these little uphills because they're not that long. And like, it's going to hurt and I'm going to be tired no matter what. And just like, tr even if it's like a really short, choppy stride, just like try to keep running. And just like shifting that attitude uh, made a huge difference, actually. So so I did hike still just a few little pitches, but mainly the last, you know, um, the bulk of the of the run around Turquoise Lake, I, I just ran the whole thing. And it was slow running, but, but it, it was enough to probably be a minute or two minutes a mile faster. And, right. and that caught me up to Anton and, and unexpectedly kind of, yeah, nearing the boat ramp, I just kind of saw him and I think it was Dan Kraft facing him at that point and just, just kind of saw him walking a little uphill pitch that I had made the decision to run and, and could tell, you know, that like, right. okay, he's been walking these, I've been running them. Uh, so it kind of came up on those guys and, you know, tried to make a point to, to put in an effort I actually ended up dropping my pacer. Um, oh, and, wow. uh, She's, she's fit, but she'd been up since two 30 in the morning with me crewing all day, you know, and, and, uh, the, the original plan wasn't to have her pace, but Vargo had tweaked his calf a little bit the week before and had only paced a shorter section. So, um, yeah, I dropped some pretty good, like I was running eight thirties around the base of the turquoise lake. And then when you drop off the lake and the dam, I ran like a seven thirty four, like wow. 96th mile or something, oh you know, my gosh. and like, that was enough to look, I didn't really know where Anton was. I thought I'd be able to kind of, um, pull away from him, but you're, you know, I was hurting a lot too at that point, but I was able to put in just enough kind of fast miles there to put a gap on and, and listening to him after the race and stuff. It was kind of like, he didn't really have it in him to, to, to put in a big fight at that point. So, um, but that helped me, you know, to, to dip under 17 hours yeah. and, and really close well. So it's that competition, uh, that really, that you really need, I wouldn't have run that fast. Right. If I wasn't running scared of Ian for a while and then running, uh, chasing down Anton and then scared of Anton for those final miles, looking back, is there a headlamp back there? Right. You know, right. those kind of things Playing um, all the games for so, sure. So yeah, it really went, uh, it, about as good as I thought I was happy with fifth, you know, at twin lakes. I was like, okay, if I just get fifth. I'm, I'm very satisfied with that. And then it just kept moving up one spot at a time and, and, uh, thrilled with, uh, getting second and dipping under 17. So awesome. How's the yeah. recovery been? We're about a month out now. How are you feeling? Oh, pretty good. I've done two short runs. I, um, I mentioned that I banged up my knee. Um, it, it was relatively serious. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't do more damage compensating for it for 91 miles. Um, I went and saw my uh, therapist, um, in Indy and we kind of looked at it and it's like, uh, you know, a bone bruise, but also the tendon's been inflamed and the bursa sac and the fat pad and all that. So it's just kind of been like it was swollen for a while. There's probably going to be some pain for some months, uh, if I put any pressure on it, but I did a little bit of biking for a while there and now I'm doing a little bit of running and it's seemed to handle it. Okay. So I'm kind of doing like an every other day slow build right now. I'm not too worried about it. Cause I don't think anything major, you know, it's, it's a, it was an acute thing that is on its way to healing. It right. might take some time, but it's not um, like a major uh, structural thing or an overuse thing right. or anything like that. That is much trickier to deal with. Right. So, so yeah, musculoskeletally, I was fine within a couple, you know, there were some deep, kind of weird things more so than, than after a 50 miler. Uh, but that all kind of faded within a couple of weeks. And now it's just this knee thing I'm getting over, but probably better safe than sorry on all the other fronts too, recovering, um, you know, emotionally and, and, and hormonally and everything else sure. uh, to take, you know, a good three and a half weeks off like I have. So, 
uh, just starting to, to get back into it. Though I am running Boston in um, like, what is that? Three weeks away. Oh gosh. Uh, not, not racing. I'm going to come run for fun. Good. I thought Boston in the fall is, is such a unique opportunity. So I'm yeah, going to be out there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, maybe run in 240s or something. 240s? Jesus. Okay. All right. Fun. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's let's uh, let's move to our 20 questions portion. This is what we do with uh, a lot of our, our recent guests, especially folks like yourself who have been in the sport for a long time and have done all the podcasts and answered all the questions. So we, we try and answer, we try and get some kind of insightful questions where we can get a little advice so that those of us, uh, the, uh, us, us mere mortals can, can see how the elites do it and also maybe entertain you with some stupid questions that you haven't heard before. So 20 questions back and forth. We'll go uh, relatively quickly. We can go, you know, if you, if you want to expound, go for it. If you just want to give us a short answer, that's great too. All right. We'll see. Sounds good. I talk a lot, so I'm it's sorry all, it's in all good. if this section takes a long time. Sounds good. <laughs> Phil, take us away. All right. Uh, I'll kick it off then, I guess. Uh, do you have a coach? No, uh, just me. I think there's probably an advantage to having a coach, but I really love the freedom and flexibility of, of uh, coaching myself and even like experimenting on myself, you know, essentially. Like for this race, uh, we didn't get into training too much, but um, – and so here I go on long answers, right? But I, I, um, I could have been a one-word answer. But no, I, I have an incline trainer at home in my um, garage uh, that goes to 40% grade. And I put in a ton wow. of time power hiking at, at 25, yeah. 30% grade. I was getting, you know, 10, 15,000 feet of vert um, a week here running 40 miles, you know, in, wow. in Indiana. Um, and so that combined with some specific mountain training was able to get the job done. And that's been really interesting to me. I'm still learning more about the kind of specific muscular endurance piece of, of uphill training. And, uh, so I, I, you know, a coach would be helpful at times, no doubt, but I love the challenge of, of being able to like read my own training and make the right call and know when to back off and that kind of stuff. It helps me, I think, um, yeah. learn for the sake of helping the athletes I coach. So, you know, pros and cons to it, but yeah, I've been, been a long time, uh, only coaching myself. Right. Cool. Uh, along the training lines, what's your typical weekly mileage? Oh gosh, <laughs> wildly uh, inconsistent. Uh, I, <laughs> I've probably averaged forty to fifty miles a week for the last like three or four years. You know, really quite low mileage, relatively speaking. When I had more time, I was running more like eighty miles a week when things were going well, and that's like a good sweet spot for me. Like if I'm running a few workouts a week and, and eighty miles with a lot of time on trails, like that's you know top of my game kind of stuff. I did put in a couple of hundred plus mile weeks in the mountains at altitude is kind of a, a big push. For Leadville, but I would I would guess the six month build up for Leadville, I'll have to calculate it. I bet I average forty miles a week. Wow. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay. Roads or trails? You've had success trails, with both. No question. Trails. Yeah. For All sure. right. Um. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, what's your go to aid station food? Ooh, I would say it's evolving. Um, <laughs> but I, I did have nutrition really dialed for this race. Uh, I tend to carry tailwind and some stuff like that, but the aid station things that helped me out like late race, I ate a lot of chocolate chip cookies during Leadville. And I also love like the little PB and J squares. Oh, yeah. I had my own crew with those this time, but that always kind of works well for me when the, you know, the gels and such yeah. are going down that's a, so smoothly. That's a staple for sure. All right. Uh, what is your bucket list race? I think at this point, Western States and UTMB, those two are, are right. things I need to do. Yeah, those yeah. are classic sounds, answers. Sounds yep. good, yeah. What's the toughest race you've ever run? Mm. Hmm. 
there's two ways to answer this, I suppose, right? There's there's like, what's the hardest uh, objectively race? And what's, what was the race I had the toughest time with? Well, we'll get to um, that one. So if you want to go with the hardest objective one, we got another question about, uh, you know, uh, sure. Okay. Kind of worst race experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because I'm somebody who likes to like say like uh, a track 5K is is as hard as you know a, yep. a mountain a mountain <laughs> yeah. 100K. Yep. They're just hard in different ways, but you're they're both very difficult. Um, I suppose if we're going to use things like vert or, or whatnot as a proxy, I suppose the Iger uh, Ultra 101K, which had you know a sort of hard rock level of climbing uh, per mile, uh, that's probably the hardest. Yeah. Cool. That does actually sound like a really cool race, I have to say. I bet it's some stunning trails and scenery on that. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I you know, I would definitely highly recommend it to folks. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, uh, speed work or hills? Uh, probably formerly speed work, but hills increasingly. All right, good. What's your favorite beer? Ooh, I think go to for me is is a two hearted um, IPA from from, oh, Bell, from Connecticut up in Mich- uh, Michigan. It's, oh, it's yeah, the Bell's too hard. Sorry, I'm, I was thinking most frequently. It's a good beer. Yeah, yeah. It has the, mm-hmm. the is it has a trout on it? Is that right on the can? It does. Yeah, I think yeah. It, they have like a, a split heart of some kind. That's it's yeah. named after like whatever their uh, you know heart structure is biologically. Yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what's the best book you've ever read? Best book. Hmm. Oh gosh. Oh man. I, 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 again, so many places to take this. I don't know. Um, <laughs> or just a good book you've read recently. Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm actually, how about one I'm in the middle of, which is, which I'm enjoying, um, uh, which is the parable of the sower. Uh, it's been around a while. It's sort of a, a little bit of like a speculative fiction, climate change dystopia, uh, oh, gosh. N- novel that came out in the nineties and it's set in the twenties and it's kind of strangely on point. Um, and, uh, it's it's kind of a classic, and it's I'm really enjoying that. So we'll just we'll just go with that yeah, book I'm enjoying good. now. Sounds good. Awesome, awesome. Um, all right, yeah. I'll ask. Uh, what's your worst DNF or epic race fail story? Hmm. Uh, you know, I went and did so. So the first race, uh, well, I ran UROC in 2011 when it was in Virginia, and actually that was the one other time I've raced Ian, and we had an, an epic battle up the final climb of that race, and I just <laughs> got ahead of him. Um, but the next year, UROC was out in. Um, uh, uh colorado and they were running we were running from breckenridge to vale and there was like a bunch of snow the the night before the race because it was early september we were like post holding up and over like uh the pass between peaks five and six or whatever <laughs> in that 10 mile uh 10 peak range 10 mile range whatever they call it and uh i just like i was pretty early in the sport and didn't like have enough like intelligence about how to run my own race and like you know ricky gates and killian and uh, Rob Carr, all these guys were in that race. And I just like ran too aggressively and ended up like on the bike path mid race running like nine thirties, you know, <laughs> just couldn't do anything. And I ended up dropping and it's one of the DNFs where like, it was, I could have gutted that race out, you know, like it wasn't a major issue. I think it was my first DNF and like a little disappointed in that, but by the same token, I was running Tussie mountain back, I think three or four weeks later where I set a course record and won the national title in the 50 miles. So, uh, had I got it at that 100k race, I might not have had the successful day at Tussie, but it still it still uh, is one of the you know I've had a few DNFs and that's one that probably where it was the the least sort of justified and it was a little bit of me just kind of you know getting in over my head and probably racing too much, um, but you know that happens. It's all part of a learning experience. Sure. Okay, uh, what's your favorite quote or mantra? Hmm. 
this one is is only partially serious. Uh, well, not at all, actually. But um, uh, this movie Inside from Bo Burnham uh, <laughs> is pretty pretty fun. If folks haven't watched it, you should check it out. And one of my favorite parts of it are these ridiculous uh, songs about Jeffrey Bezos uh, that he sings in the middle. Right. And uh, the second one, he just keeps chanting Jeffrey Bezos over and over <laughs> and then saying congratulations and you did it. And uh, <laughs> my crew was blasting those every aid station I came into at, um, at Leadville. And like, so those were running through my head all day. So uh <laughs> it's just silly but it was uh i think it's pretty funny and um we've been every time one of us does, does something good now we're like congratulations <laughs> you did it so that was sort of a, a leadville specific mantra i suppose nice <laughs> that's awesome uh okay uh what is your taper strategy for the week or two before the race i taper pretty aggressively and i think that has to do with um uh the fact that I don't run a ton of high mileage, like all the time. So if I, if I was, you know, consistently running 80 to hundred miles a week, I wouldn't need quite as much of a taper, but because, um, I'm not always doing that. I, I feel like I'm somebody who benefits from like a fair number of days off and in the week before, like, I think I ran, you know, uh, 15 miles in the, in the five days, maybe that 12 or 15 miles or something like that in the final five days leading up to Leadville and a pretty low mileage week the week before too. So I, I really back off. It's kind of thing that's highly personal though. Right. Um, yeah, that's why we like to ask. We want to stay pretty much at, at mileage until the last five days and they do better with that. So it's kind of the kind of thing we, we all need to figure out for ourselves, I think, but I, I back off quite a lot. Yeah. That's why it's interesting to ask and see what different people do. Cause like you said, it is pretty personalized. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, who is your all-time favorite runner? Mm. I'm going to go with the Northeast uh, uh, answer here, uh, Nate Jenkins. You guys know Nate? Sure, yeah. Uh, throwback. He he um he was an awesome blue-collar runner who ran at UMass Lowell and and was seventh place at the 2008 Olympic Trials at a time when I was coming out of college. And he used to have these training logs he would post on like a blog and then eventually running times and engage in this like 80 comment conversation every week with all these followers <laughs> myself included about like training theory and stuff and uh he's somebody who's like i don't know, like a 435 high school miler and he became a you know 214 or 215 marathon or seventh of trials just like you know the the um epitome of a, of a blue collar runner so he's always been one of my favorites i i just was kind of fascinated by his career and approach um and uh yeah i'll go with that yeah he seems like an awesome guy um we Often ask people about if they play musical instruments. I know you're, you're uh, famously a, uh, a fairly accomplished guitarist and singer-songwriter. Are you still playing and, and writing songs and such? Uh, not as much these days. Um, I haven't picked up a guitar in a few months, probably. I, I, I'd love to get back into it. Life's just been a little busy. But but yeah, I play guitar and piano mainly and was doing some songwriting there for a while and had some fun opportunities to... I, I played at a trail running festival uh, in... Um, uh, uh, Bryce, well, it was in, in like Zion and Bryce area um, uh, back in 2018 and played like another show one time out in Colorado for some trail runner folks. So I've kind of had a few opportunities to, I guess I played at a, a, the uh, Tarawira and Ultra Trail Australia races too. Uh, oh, nice. They got me to play guitar for a few things there. And uh, that's always been super fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm by no means like uh, uh, great at it. <laughs> but, you the, but I enjoy, uh... and I enjoy playing music and, and writing and, and um, it's been fun to kind of have that integrated into the trail running uh, career a little bit. All right. Uh, what three things would you like to achieve over the next five to 10 years? It's going to be running or otherwise. Yeah, just running in life, anything really. Sure, we'll, we'll go with at least a running one. I'd like to, I think, uh, while I'm still competitive, run run the um, some of the bigger classic races in our sport. So I mentioned Western States and UTMB. would love to take a crack at Hard Rock. 
uh, want to go back to Leadville. So kind of accomplishing some of the things in the sport that, that, um, you know, I see as like meaningful to like a, a full career, so to speak in, in, in the, uh, ultra running sport, uh, and have, you know, uh, solid, like, you're not always gonna have a great day out, but like, we're do, do, feeling like I did what I could to have good, good days there and put in the right prep and all that kind of stuff. So put some serious work into those goals. Um, I'd like to do that in the coming years. Uh, I think I'd like to continue to develop professionally in a way that I feel is, is meaningful, uh, sort of service and, in, in, you know, to the, to the greater good of our community and planet. And, and, um, I'm really just in the fairly early stages of embarking on kind of this stage of my career. And I'm really not sure where it's going to head. Uh, could be an academic route, could be a nonprofit think tank, could be government service. Like I really don't know, but I'm excited to see where that is. And, and, just want to keep working on some of these really, really big um, challenges we're facing. And let's see a third one, I guess just continuing to uh, grow uh, with my wife and partner Beth and, and, um, and, and build our life together. So we got married two years ago. Uh, we got a dog uh, named Iger actually. Uh, he's a Bernie's mountain dog. Um, oh. He's sleeping at my feet right now. Oh. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, see how our, our life grows and evolves together. So, so continuing to make sure I put in, um, uh, the effort and care towards that relationship that, that uh, it deserves. So awesome. Ooh, great answers. I love it. So good. Uh, what's your favorite race? Mm, hard to pick a favorite. Uh, I'll, I'll mention a couple actually Cayuga trails uh, yeah. up in Ithaca. I've, I've come back for that maybe three or four times. Uh, love the scene up there. Love the folks I've met through that great area. And Ian Golden's a awesome guy and awesome yep. race director. So I've always loved that race. Another one I'll mention is the um, old ghost ultra. If you don't know about that one, it's in, um, it's in Maryland or no, no, no. Uh, New Zealand, uh, in, in, oh, right. uh, yes, the yes, Lyle yes. mountain district or mountain region of, of New Zealand, kind of Northwest in the South Island. Um, it's a newer race, four or five years old. It's got this incredible story. I wrote a story about it for, um, I don't know if you guys do like links in the, you know, description or anything. For sure. I wrote a story about it for ultra running magazine when I raced it, uh, in 2017, incredible background and story, uh, of this basically a 53 mile long trail cut through the mountains that there's like a hut system on, but it's, you don't cross another trail or road. It's just 53 miles wow. point to point through this incredible, stunning scenery. And the story of how it got built and all that is like really cool. So check it out. And and if you ever get down that way, it's an incredible race to to run for sure. I think it's in like, it's a couple of weeks after Tarawira. So like late February or early March, something like yeah. that. New Zealand's, yeah. uh, New Zealand's definitely on the list for me. Oh yeah. Cool. Okay, uh, if you could compete in any non-running sport in the Olympics, what would it be? Ooh, non-running sport. I'm such a running nerd. Like all the Olympic things I watch, <laughs> just just running. So I don't know. Tell you what, I was fascinated by three on three basketball this year. That that oh, uh, was I. I really that, enjoyed that. Yeah. It felt like uh, grade school. English, but... Yeah, like grade school pickup basketball. So that's yeah. If I had any any skill or talent at that anymore, yeah. <laughs> that'd be a and fun it, one. It was the most well-balanced sport at the Olympics in terms of uh, male and female competitors and officials as oh, well, cool. which I thought was cool. So, awesome. yeah, I, I enjoyed watching that. Yeah, so, awesome. Yeah. What's your go-to pre-race meal? I basically don't have one. I'll kind of eat whatever. I ate like a sandwich this year. I don't know. I try to, I try to keep it like fairly bland. Like I'm not going to go like get Thai food the night before I race, I guess. So like... <laughs> But but just kind of kind of whatever something something kind of bland. Yeah. But I I've never been too picky about a specific meal. That's what Kat said when we just had her. Yeah. Okay. Um, who would play you in a movie based on your life? <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, I used to get uh, that I looked like the the uh, the boy from Jurassic Park. Um, so I don't know what he's up to these days. Maybe we still kind of look alike, and he could play me. Nice. We'll have to look up his uh, his name on IMDb. Find out who he is. <laughs> what motivates you when things start to suck? Hmm. Oh gosh. Uh, you know, I think I'll, I'll maybe stick a little bit running specific with it, which is that like, I think my motivations have shifted and, and evolved over the years where I try to be more grateful for the opportunity and what's happening and not be externally motivated. And I think um, doing that, you can accept that there are low patches, there are bad times, but if you're doing what you can to control them and you're there for sort of the right reason and understand there are highs and lows, like that's okay. And you're going to be sort of okay with it. There was an interesting um, uh, tidbit on Steve Magnus's uh, Instagram the other day about some um, cycling research uh, where men drop out of, of race, elite men drop out of races more than elite women do. And um, they had tied this to their basic, their psychology and their psychology and their like sort of uh, mental frame going into the race that the men tended to be more ego driven. Uh, and externally, you know, defining success. I need to beat so-and-so, I need X time, whatever. Whereas the women were much more in a mindset of, I'm here to give my best effort and that's what I'm doing. And like, that might not lead to, you know, X or Y result or it might. Um, and I think there's probably something to that in the ultra running sport too. I know there was an I run far column not long ago, kind of um, sorting out how it is that at UTMB, we've had American women do so incredibly well, you know, right. uh, Courtney obviously most recently and Rory Bozio before her and others. And the men always seem to <laughs> struggle. We've had some, you know, you know yeah. Tim Tollison, Mike Foote, some other guys do well well over the years, but never the way the American women have. And, right. and uh, this year was, you know, kind of notably uh, absent of top American men. And I think there's prop there's a lot of factors happening there probably, but I think there's probably some element of male ego uh, <laughs> that drives more blowups in DNFs. And I think Western states kind of did that this year too. We saw th the men's race just go out absolutely yeah. uh unsustainably and and uh you know guys in fifth sixth seventh place that like probably thought they were going out at a reasonable effort because they weren't running with jim right but they were actually all under course record pace which is already insane right and uh <laughs> and and i think um yeah men seem to be be um a little more like yeah ego driven or externally driven sometimes with those things and um so i think that shift in mindset and practicing that and understanding uh why you're out there and understanding that things do go poorly sometimes and that's okay can like really help to keep a a positive mindset even when things do suck yeah and in turn that helps you get move move out of the sucky part you know uh keeping yeah. that that sort of frame and that mindset so. yeah that and then trying of course to apply that to life uh you know i think what we do in ultra running and and um and especially 100 milers and that sort of thing it's they're, they're little microcosms of, of the struggles we go through in life and can teach lessons and skills that can be useful for, for dealing with uh, life's adversity as well. That focus on on process over results, that's something that our coach kind yeah. of harps on all the time and something I like to, to work on with my athletes too. That's so, that's so right is just like, you know, the results are fleeting and, and you know, uh, ultimately ephemeral, but but the, mm -hmm. the process is, is what makes it in, meaningful really. Yeah, and, and did you mention, is David Roach, you, you work with him in some capacity, is that Yeah, right? both Phil and um, I do, yeah. Gotcha. And, and, uh, and I know David just a little bit, we've chatted a few times and I, uh, I just recently listened to their podcast a couple of times and there was one where they were talking about, um, uh, basically that and the idea of, I mean, they talk about shooting your shot or whatever, but, um, you know, also making choices to do that. Right. right. Um, 
I could have gone out to Leadville and run super relaxed and aimed for 20 hours and been like, I'm just going to experience what a hundred miles about. And I would have set myself up for uh, a, high, a very high chance of success if that was my, my definition, but I did want to get out there and compete. So you're towing this line of like, uh, if you're going to be more aggressive about giving your chance to do, giving yourself a chance to do something special, whatever that means for, for your fitness and your, you know, focus, uh, you're, you're risking, a a, a sort of low, you know, ch chance of failure or ch well, not, failure is a bad word, but like uh, a chance of not meeting the, you know, that, that high, high level goal. And that's okay too. It's a decision made with like a kind of a calculated risk and like accepting that and understanding that like, yeah, it, it could go south and I might be walking in. And that kind of ties back to what I was mentioning earlier in this um, podcast of, of, of my friend RJ thinking I was being too negative about the race. That was me trying to understand that like my reasons for being out there right. and like understand that like I'm here to finish this race and I'm taking some calculated risks and running it aggressively, but, but I'm not here to beat people or to podium or whatever. That's not ultimately the underlying reason right. I'm here to, to, capitalize on the hard work I've put in and find out something about toughness and resolve, right. even if things are going very poorly, you know, right. it's in intrinsic versus ex extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Matt, you made it through 20 questions. This was so great. Uh, we're so psyched to have you on and, and psyched to have you back in the, in the spotlight of the sport. You're, you're a great ambassador for the sport and uh, we look forward to, to following you in the, in the months and years to come. Thanks so much. Hopefully yeah, I can, thanks, uh, yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, hopefully I can get back out there, uh, with with some uh, 100 milers in the next year or two. I'm, I'm excited to kind of explore this this new area, area of the sport that's new to me. So yeah. thanks so much for uh, having me on again. Yeah, and next time you're out for Cayuga Trails, let us know. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be back someday, I'm sure. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thanks to everybody for listening. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusty like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago, as a child, I look about the loud sky in the bus feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there I was still young I was still